The following podcast may contain spoilers for the movie Die Hard. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes and try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, and this week's movie is the action blockbuster Die Hard. So, dear listeners, take off your shoes and socks and walk around on your rug and make fists with your toes, and let's get Diabolical. Welcome to this week's episode. Joining me, as always, are my friends and fellow podcast conspirators in the guise of the panel and peril. I'd like to start by asking them now, please introduce yourselves and tell me what is your favourite non-Christmas themed film that you always watch at Christmas? Hello, I'm Lord Manly Supreme and my favourite non-Christmas related film that I always watch at Christmas is Star Wars A New Hope. And I think that's because it was always on at Christmas when I was a kid. Yes. And if it was on, we'd always watch it every time. Then it just started to feel like curling up on an armchair on a long winter's night. I totally agree with you. So I'm going to, I'll follow you straight away there because my non-Christmas themed movie I always watch at Christmas is The Empire Strikes Back. All right. <laughs> oh, that's dark. And not because it's set on Hoth and it's Ice, ice mm. World or anything like that. It's just that I have very, it's the same, exact same reasons as you. Bizarre. I don't ever remember seeing A New Hope or Empire on TV when I was a kid. <laughs> but my Christmas, yeah. my movie I always watch at Christmas is Return of the Jedi because it was always on ITV <laughs> at Christmas. <laughs> Yes! And how weird is that? <laughs> oh my god, this is so brilliant. Gaz, are you going to say it's The Phantom Menace now? <laughs> no, it's going to be a horror movie. It's going to be a horror movie, isn't it? That's amazing. I'm Gaz, and I don't really have a movie that I watch every Christmas. The only Christmas movie story that I have is from last Christmas, 2021, where we all had COVID, so we were all stuck indoors, so all I did was watch movies. So I watched all of the Lone Wolf and Cub series, all of Battles Without Honour and Humanity. The one that I thought of first, though, for that movie was uh, was actually Batman Returns because I got it as a present ah. for my sister when she first started uh, she first started full time work. That was like the first present she got me at Christmas, and I was uh, I used to watch it a lot. Uh, but then I remember there's a lot of Christmas theme in there, so yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Christmas trees, turning the lights on the tree, kissing Max Shrek under the mistletoe with the taser at the end. Yeah. And Oswald Copperpot, isn't he kind of dumped by his parents at Christmas? Mm. His dad's Pee Wee Herman, isn't he? Mm. What, in real life? <laughs> Wanked him out in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> That's a penguin's origin story. <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard is a film by director John McTiernan and legendary producer Joel Silver. The film focuses on NYPD cop John McClane as he flies to LA to attend his estranged wife's work Christmas do in their snazzy new Nakatomi building, which in the real world is Fox Plaza. Unbeknownst to McClane and the other attendees, troublesome terrorists plans to crash their festive hijinks and have their sights set on the hundreds of millions of dollars in the building's vault. Upon its release in July 1988, it received a mixed reception, but defied expectations and went on to gross $140 million from a budget of roughly $25 to $35 million. It immediately propelled Willis in his breakout role to leading man status and made a celebrity of co-star Alan Rickman. Willis's portrayal of John McClane redefined the action genre, presenting a normal, emotional person constantly doubting himself and with an average physique completely counter to that, muscle-bound men like Schwarzenegger and Stallone, who portrayed invincible, infallible, catchphrase-spouting heroes in unrealistic settings. Die Hard has since gone on to spawn four sequels and has become the definitive alternative Christmas favourite. World events of 1988. Michael Jordan makes his signature slam dunk 
from the three throw line inspiring Air Jordan and the Jumpman logo called the Jumpman logo. <laughs> <laughs> that logo kind of makes sense because that was his name before he changed it legally, didn't it? Oh, was it? Yeah, Michael Jumpman. <laughs> <laughs> Jumpman was the original name for Mario. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that. But I was also thinking, do you think they designed it first and they were like we'll just call it Jumpman in case michael jordan doesn't want to endorse it and then they're just like ah fuck it we've copyrighted that now (laughs) yeah Jumpman, it's fine we'll just leave it (laughs) they were lucky that he changed his name from Jumpman to jordan (laughs) (laughs) more decisive than an electromagnetic seal on a very expensive safe system in a skyscraper yeah or mayor returns once again now 1988 has been a feature of two of our previous episodes, specifically Willow and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. If you haven't already heard those episodes, then what are you doing? Give them a blast. In the meantime, please can I have a year or mayor from the panel for these notable films of 1988? Beetlejuice. Yeah. 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 Big. Yeah. Yep. I think yeah, but I can't remember it. My heart says yeah. But my mind says I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm somewhere in the middle. I'll have to say meh. Meh. It's got Zoltan. It's got the piano bit. It's got the cool yeah. comic thing that he designs. And it's got a 14-year-old kid sleeping with Elizabeth Perkins or whatever her name is. So what more do you want? Therapy. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> creepy, isn't it? <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, it's a classic. You wouldn't do it now, would you? <laughs> I can't imagine him getting away making big now, no. I know people say that about a lot of things, but I think that's one where it's genuinely true. <laughs> Somebody goes into a producer's meeting, right, guys, let's remake big. <laughs> and it just goes flying out a window. <laughs> <laughs> the Naked Gun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Goddamn. Even the opening credits of that movie are funnier than most comedies. What what a movie. (laughs) (laughs) The Land Before Time. Yeah. 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 Although it does remind me of boring Sunday afternoons, to be honest. So (laughs) I might cheat and go meow. (laughs) Meow. (laughs) Yeah, meow, meow, yeah. (laughs) The Great Outdoors. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And last but certainly not least, they live. Yeah. 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 Never seen it. Huh? You never seen they live? Really? Obey. Consume. It's an extremely good carpenter film. You know of it though, yeah? Yeah, I know of it, yeah. I know the consume thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, not not a mare in sight, just the one meow. Meow and a meer. As well, so (laughs) (laughs) that's not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. (laughs) Right, should we actually talk about Die Hard, the actual film? Who wants to kick us off? Die Hard, more like hard dick. Am I right? (laughs) That's how good it is. That's my prepared joke. Well, you prepared that. Holy (laughs) shit. (laughs) Take it or leave it. You had a long week. A lot on your mind. (laughs) (laughs) The thing with this watch was I'm doing a a wonderful thing at the moment, which is watching films when I'm knackered and I can't be asked watching them. (laughs) So I I put the Disney Plus thing on and I was like, two hours, 12 minutes for fuck's sake. I couldn't believe how long it was. In my mind, it was an hour and a half. I was like, shit. Yeah, I was surprised actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. (laughs) But yeah, I I still enjoyed it. Um, But yeah, as I say, I was tired <laughs> so <laughs> that may may color i think it's better than the sum of its parts mm. the script is brilliant it's like a masterclass in exposition dialogue the way they reveal stuff and it feels like natural conversation you don't even notice until you start analyzing it and because i was watching it with my critical head on i was watching i was thinking holy shit the economy of exposition here is, is just so good did you know they actually wrote the script as they were filming the movie so the script was only just ahead of the filming the whole way through. That's bonkers. Like um, Wallace and Gromit laying the tracks. <laughs> it's an adaptation from a book, isn't it? Yeah, they adapted it. Jeb Stewart wrote the screenplay. And then they had another guy, uh, D'Souza. He rewrote it again. Stephen D'Souza. Street Fighter director. Pedigree. <laughs> yeah. 
He wrote it again. Mm. He put the comedy elements into it and stuff like that. The production was constantly chasing the scriptwriter. And then some of the scenes were actually improvised as well. Like the first meeting of Gruber and McLean, that was mostly improvised. The one where he pretends to be not a terrorist, that one. Oh, you wanted them, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, it's Hang on, funny. one second, one second. <laughs> you saying, Craig, that you were putting your critical head on? Yeah. Is this some kind of Wizzle Gummage type That's deal? exactly right. Lots <laughs> of different heads Craig. that you swap between. <laughs> it was worth interrupting me for that. <laughs> oh it was it was oh yeah I thought if I don't get it in now I'm never getting it in and it was too good to pass up that is uh, gold that's that's comedy gold right there I reckon our fans around the world are really going to relate to that Wurzel Gummidge joke Gaz well done mate <laughs> <laughs> Google it Google it hey they rebooted it recently he's back in the public consciousness I'm telling you 2023 is the year of Gummidge <laughs> go on Craig sorry what are you saying I know that <laughs> John McTiernan wanted to inject a lot of fun into it because the original script was kind of darker and, and more dour. But Bruce Willis, obviously coming from a comedy background, brings a great sort of light touch to it. And the, the reason I don't necessarily love Die Hard 4 and 5 is mainly that what Bruce Willis gets right about McLean in Die Hard is that he's like out of his depth and he's constantly afraid and you always worry that he might actually be in danger. You know, he's he's injured, he's not like a typical action star and I think it, it works much better for that he's relatable isn't he hmm. and yeah. he becomes a bit of a superhuman in, in the later entries other things about this that are great obviously John McTiernan great action director you know the film looks good um, the score is brilliant it's clever it's uh, Christmassy at times, which is cool. Yeah, they drop in loads of little little motifs, don't they, from various Christmas songs. It's great. Yeah, throughout the school. Yeah, yeah. And and the characters singing as well. Like Powell sings Let It Snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hans sings Ode to Joy. It's like little bits peppered through it. That great. Yeah, it's great. My favourite thing about the soundtrack is, you know, the, the moment when Powell shoots Carl and there's that like triumphant, Da, 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 music you know when Powell kills Carl at the oh end? yeah 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 it's like that weird yeah. weird weird tale of redemption I can kill again <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's my the one thing that I don't like about that movie is that oh, I hate that was it. the only thing I didn't like too yeah it's spoofed in Hot Shots part two isn't it Miguel Ferrer he literally says thanks Topper I can kill again <laughs> <laughs> so the, the music that plays when when it's like focusing on Powell's gun and then the focus shifts to him yeah. it's like duh, duh, duh. and it sounds different to the rest of the movie right and that's because it's from Aliens not made for Die Hard it's from the Aliens school oh well Excellent. Gaz, Ben, go. You finished talking about the soundtrack now, Craig? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a nice, it was a nice little seg, that. It all kind of knitted together very well. Yeah, I enjoyed the film. Thank you very much. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, no, thoroughly enjoyed it. Hadn't seen it for many years. Loved it. And I think what made me enjoy it even more is that we'd read... Uh, recently the excerpts of the yeah. Alan Rickman diaries mm. that was all fresh in my mind and it was just great to mm-hmm. see him in, in in full gallop like a handsome steed <laughs> which do you prefer um, Hans Gruber or the Sheriff of Nottingham <sighs> oh, now that is good I, I, I'm a Sheriff of Nottingham man I think he's got some some great lines in that yeah I think he's fantastic as Gruber what I realised this time he's got such a distinctive voice mm-hmm. and at first I thought is he just doing his normal voice but then you hear throughout just one or two words, not too much, but he just puts in a, a slight German yeah. kind of sounding word here and there. Yeah. And yeah. so you, you totally buy that he, he's been educated in the UK, yeah. but he's from Germany and you like, fuck, that's so subtle. He sells it completely. Yeah, those subtle accents are better. Mm. You just reminded me, actually. You remember we were talking about in Roger Rabbit, you guys were all impressed with Bob Hoskins' accent. And I said, oh, it's that awful generic American accent that British actors do. And it's not specific to any part of America. And, and you guys were like, oh, it's it's a film noir accent, which fair enough, I think that probably is true. You get a lot of actors in the 30s who sound like that. But then I watched the Super Mario Brothers movie and his his New York accent in that is 
flawless. It's fucking unbelievable. So I'm even more convinced now of Bob Hoskins' absolute mega genius. Going back to Willis's comedy chops and stuff like that, his agent for the film, because he, he got paid, um, which was like uh, five million for this film, and he's like, it's widely accepted as a breakout role and it was like unheard of and people going this is absolutely mad he's a bloody tv actor he's 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 got comedy chops he's never going to be able to do it and then his agents were saying to the script writer right we don't want him to do any comedy we just want him straight acting and then he met Stephen D'Souza and he said to Willis your bosses your agents have said cut the comedy and Willis was like no if you can get as much content in there as possible for me to say like uh, funny lines and things like that and little uh, sides and stuff like that it, do it and then it was purely because Willis has said get some more comedy in there that it's turned out the way it did you got to trust in his skill of line delivery yeah because 100%. I've seen him play comedy in Moonlight Inn and in Death Becomes Her and they're very different tonally and in Friends where he went for it mm. the thing about Die Hard is the dialogue's funny. He doesn't need to play it funny. He plays it straight. Yeah, exactly. But this is the, this is the thing. It's like I, I contrasted earlier with with the physique and, and one liners that Stallone and Schwarzenegger uh, put out. And there's absolutely no comparison here, is there? He just runs rings around him. Stallone is a very good actor. To be fair, I mean Rocky. You need to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Stallone's great. Arnie is very charismatic, especially in Predator, but I would agree that his line delivery is generally not brilliant, but, that, you know, English isn't his first language, what do you want? But Bruce Willis, in, especially in, in this Die Hard, I think his performance is incredibly strong. And that What I really love is when he first meets Holly in her office and he's getting changed in her bathroom, that argument they have is mm. so contained. Mm. Never lets, like, the, the angry part of it come out just he's very quietly pissed off with her about the name and everything passive aggressive <laughs> kind of reminds me not i'm not saying <laughs> i'm not saying it's on the same level but what it made me think of breaking it down mentally yeah <laughs> like craig does with porridge <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying it's on the same level or even close but what it made me think of right away is the difference between al pacino when he's talking to Kay at the wedding and he's so mannered and calm and then him in godfather 3 where he's just shouting all the fucking yeah, time yeah. when he started that that phase of his career mm. the ability to play it very sort of uh contained and the overused phrase but i'm going to use it in the phrase in the manner in which it was meant the kind of low-key acting that he does is is great i totally get what you're saying there as well with the, i think his style has remained pretty much unchanged through most of the films he's done i think in his comedy chops when he has to draw on him he always absolutely brilliant um yeah death becomes her is particularly brilliant i think for for willis he's absolutely incredible in that yeah he's good at that screwball shit yeah bonfire of the vanities he's great in as yeah. well a lot of people hate that movie but i really like it but like pulp fiction mm. funny as fucking that yeah, you know yeah. when um he's great the bit with when he shoots travolta on the toilet's funny when he's driving and marcellus comes in front of the car the face he does yeah i think he's a great actor yeah just going back to that argument scene, what I love about that is is even I know he he goes on, he kind of comments on a oh, way to go, like mm. instead of holding back as they were getting along so well, he he kind of puts his foot in it. But even before he comments on it, you can tell that's what he's done. You yeah. can tell the regret on him, he plays it. Yeah, it's all in his face and his posture. Yeah. Yeah. That that's one of the other things about this movie that you might not notice if you're watching it as an action movie fan, but there's a great sort of redemption story in this where he starts off as such a cunt you know he's staring at the woman's ass in the airport and like the the stewardess and everything and then well that's i was gonna say yes that's i i didn't get what that lingering look was it was really weird that's i think to show you why she split up with him and then when he gets to the point where he's on the radio to to al and he's like tell my wife that i wish i'd been more supportive and everything that's like the arc for him and then living in Die Hard yeah. 2 when he's, uh, and this is the best line of dialogue from Die Hard 2 as well. He's at the airport and uh, he needs to use the fax machine and the woman at the airport's like, I get off at nine and he just shows her his wedding ring and he says, just the fax, ma'am, just the fax. So yeah, there's that good arc in there. And I guess he kind of, he gets that from speaking to Powell as well, right? Because he's a family man, kind of like the flip side of each other. Willis is the... The action man. Helps Willis find his uh, more emotional side and 
Willis helps him murder. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Here's a question for you, right? That's a pretty tall building, yeah? At least 30-something floors. 40 stories it is, because on the poster it says 40 stories of fun or something. <laughs> I know the vault's on floor 30, and they say they have to go down to the vault, so yeah. Right, so there you go. So it's it's high. So even even an express lift, it's taking you to go up and come back down. It's taking you a good, what, 10, 15 mm. minutes? If you're going to blue. say that they should have included that time in the movie, I'm going to tell you something about movies. <laughs> no. Okay. How long was Carl dead hanging from that chain when he got up? Oh, I know. Mm. That's ridiculous. He must have been out for like a good 45 minutes. The weirdest choice there is when the hostages are coming back down the stairs from the roof, they show Carl they show him, hanging yeah. from that chain. Why not just show the empty chain? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, because you would have still forgotten about it, but that would have been way better. <gasps> you think that came very late on. And now Turner's said about the script, yeah, it I, could I think have, so. because it felt disjointed. Oh, no, because um, that's in the book. Carl comes back in the book. Is it? Yeah. yeah so weird. Yeah. In the book, it's his daughter at the party, and she does die with when Gruber pulls out the window, takes her, takes her with him, which is fucking bleak, right? And then <laughs> Carl comes out and kills loads of uh, civilians outside. Oh, right. oh right. Before he gets taken out by Powell. Yeah, I think that was a good rewrite then. <laughs> die Hard and Speed Fonts were they the same? Well, Yanderbont was the cinematographer for this movie mm. yeah the font looked very similar not as cheap looking for me as the uh the speed font i think it's because they only use that font once and then they use kind of a stand font for everything else in speed they they force that font down your throat and i choked on it yeah we left to listen to you all slagging off speed again <laughs> fucking speed why pile of shit a bit of um, movie uh, folklore slash trivia again while yander bont was working on this movie Apparently, he got stuck in one of the lifts, so that inspired him for speed. Mm. That's folklore. Wow. That's relatable. <laughs> a lot of relatable stuff happening on this episode. <laughs> there's, a, there's loads. There's so much good trivia for this movie. Second movie you've picked in a row with uh, Robert Davey. Are you some kind of closet Robert Davey fan? Mm. Yeah. Who, who's, which one's that? Oh, don't lie to me. Don't play coy, Turner. Don't oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Special Agent yeah. Johnson, no relation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that joke's brilliant. <laughs> it's kind of silly. <laughs> it's Agent Johnson. No, not that one. <laughs> it's so yeah. stupid, but that is little moments like that you remember from this film. Yeah. William Atherton, mm. again, reprising his role as a total arsehole yeah. in, in movie land. <laughs> yeah. He's just perfect. There's so many good casts in this film, and it just works. Uh, Ellis as well. Is, has there ever been a more perfect sleazeball than Ellis? <laughs> so good. I've got a brilliant thing here that I found, and I just came across it. Again, this is this is a bit – it's not trivia, but it's something that's funny. I was looking for facts and stuff, and I, got, I came to the um, British Board of Film Classification, and this is what they said about – you know, they rate it thing. And it said, for drug use – it said, one of the male hostages is briefly seen snorting cocaine, although he is a negatively presented character whose boastful bravado leads to his death at the hands of the terrorists. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Jeez Louise! Really <laughs> <laughs> so you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow is what I'm saying. Just like, as soon as you see him snorting drugs, you're like, oh, fucking BBFC told me what happens to this fellow. I don't need to watch yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like he has a little bump I was just like thought I was really funny I was thinking actually I, I said earlier the, the only thing I didn't like about this is that Powell I can kill again ending but the other thing that I don't like I don't know if this feels like a cliche to me because you know we, this is a very old movie and maybe this was novel at the time but I hate it when like the old fashioned man protagonist doesn't get on with like the most basic fucking technology like when McLean comes into the hotel and the guy's showing him how to find where Holly's office is. And he's like, fucking mm. computers. <laughs> and, and the guy, <laughs> the, the weirdly informal desk clerk says to him, yeah, it'll even help you piss. If you need to take a piss, it'll help you. And I'm just like, oh God, really? It's just two working class Joes getting, <laughs> getting to it. They cut the scene where McLean smashes up a printing press. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Colby trouser press. Well, he dismantled that because he's bored. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think that must have been a, a the, the time because that was the turn of it, wasn't it? Yeah. That had been around the time where I had a Commodore 64. Yes. And I remember my dad just like just scratching his head, just didn't know what was happening. <laughs> Actually, yeah, my, my dad couldn't program the VCR, so I always had to do that. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember coming in after playing footy one time. My dad had the new video and he's there with the instruction manual. He sat in front of it. I just come in. I was I was still in my footy kit. I go, oh, new video. Nice one. Picked up the remote, set it, walked out of the room. Apparently later he went into my mum and goes, uh, how the fuck has he just done that? I've been sat in front of that for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it was that time, wasn't it, when the VHS and all that was coming and technology was becoming much more affordable, wasn't it, and stuff. So I guess it's sort of... I'm like that now with my kids. They can do shit with their phones where I'm like, I have no idea what you just did. I'm at that age. Not me. I'm still finger on the pulse for me. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> Fucking hell, girls. I'm still showing them what to do. I, I'm the tech tech expert in our house and that's really worrying really 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 worrying my dad's better now as well like he's got a smartphone and everything now i must be more mature than you three that's the only possible uh answer yeah that's what it is <laughs> yeah paul mccartney still learning new technology and he's fucking in his 80s or whatever so if he can do it i'm gonna keep yeah. doing it yeah but i reckon he still makes love like four times a night Oh, yeah. <laughs> guy's a fucking hero. <laughs> Do you all know about the actor who played Carl and his background? He was a Russian. Yeah. A Russian porn star? Which one's Carl? The guy with the long blonde hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was a Russian. He was the main man in the Bolshoi Ballet. That's why he had such lovely buns. And amazing roundhouse kicks. There's some video of him <laughs> doing ballet. He's fucking brilliant. So good. Wow. He died in 1995 because I was doing my as part of my research. I was like, oh, that's a shame. I didn't look into why he died. I don't think I would give a reason, actually, for what I thought. Pirouette incident. It's the ever after. But I thought that's a, bit, that's a bit sad. He was only 45, I think, when he died. Jesus. Got bloody caught in a nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> right, have you got any favourite moments? I don't know if it's my favourite, but I did want to ask you guys about it. Throwing the C4 down the uh, elevator shaft. Reckless. Yeah, how did he know where it was going <laughs> to blow? <It's> great. <laughs> that was fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. But that is this whole thing, isn't it? Because he's just like, he's just going, oh, what the fuck do I do? And he just goes, oh, just do this. Oh, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> of all the things, if I'm thinking, what the fuck am I going to do? C4 down an elevator shaft is very seldom top of a list. Well, if you're in a massive skyscraper filled with thieves stroke terrorists on Christmas Eve and people are dying around you and they're missiling blooming the police outside in the armoured vehicle what are you going to do what are you going to do my heart is saying throw C4 down as an elevator shaft <laughs> there you go yes. but my, my head is saying <laughs> save the hostages you've got, you've got a lollipop in this hand and C4 <laughs> in this hand what are you going to do <laughs> favourite moment has got to be when Powell's about to drive off and the body hits his car and he just reverses like forever <laughs> Goes over the fucking ridge. <laughs> so good. Yeah, how the fuck doesn't he get hit? He's getting shot at with like a machine gun, proper machine gun as well. Yeah. And he's like, he's got my car's getting turned into Swiss cheese, but you're not. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Maybe he's got to live so he can have his redemption of killing at the end. <laughs> Anyone else got a favourite moment? Because I got one more tiny moment that I really love, which is weird. Yeah, go for it's it. It's just when... When Hans realises that Holly is Holly McLean and he picks up his gun and he fires it into the office roof and then he comes out of the office and he does like a disco slide and shoots again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like a perfect disco slide. (laughs) I like the, uh, it's an iconic part of the film, but where Gruber falls. Yeah, it still looks good. I love it. It looks amazing. It looks real still. I read up on it a little bit. Do you know the story behind that? I don't know. So Rickman agreed to do his own stunt and they agreed they'd drop him off about a 25-foot drop yeah. on three. But the people that were dropping him agreed to do it on one to catch him off guard. <laughs> That's great. And he That's was great. furious. <laughs> he was furious with him afterwards. Yeah, that reaction's his uh, genuine reaction. <laughs> yeah. going, ah! That's perfect. Yeah. And it looks amazing. The green screen bit, that is the, one of the most believable green screens I've ever seen still. It looks like it's, he's lit so perfectly. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's falling. And mm. then the wide shot with the stuntman doing the proper fall. It's really well done. 
unbelievable. So I want to ask you, yeah, was that a stuntman? Yeah. Because you see the arms moving. On the way, yeah. It looked amazing. Yeah. Because that's a long way, that. Yeah. That is a hell of a fall. On a decelerator. On a decelerator, yeah. Ah. My favourite moment probably is the opening of the vault. It's just one of the strangest uplifting moments for you know it's it's weird that they that they you know instead of it being like a dark sequence where the terrorists are opening the vault and going ah we've got a grubby little mitts on it it's like a like a celebration which is brilliant i think it's a great uh, it really sets that moment apart from the rest of the film i love it we've already mentioned william atherton who i think is absolutely brilliant in anything he does pretty much i love the over the the length of the movie, the difference in relationship over the radio he has to Hans Gruber and to Al uh, outside. The fact that it's just this, it's like a yin and yang, isn't it? Sort of devil and an angel kind of situation. Uh, that's brilliant. And then my favourite little tiny moment is when he first kills Tony and he lifts up his head and then drops it on the on the stairs, and it goes, dong. Yeah. <laughs> and I always remember that. I sit there waiting for it to happen, going, dong. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> Such a satisfying thud. It is. It's just one of those little, you know, when you hear a sound in a movie, and it's just, and it's not even a second long, and every time you watch it, you listen out for it, and it's just that. And I, can't, I couldn't tell you another film at the moment off the top of my head. There's a funny bit on... Um... The Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon commentary on the DVD where the screenwriter is saying about they won the Oscar for best sound. And he said, oh, you got a D for best Oscar is used like a submarine bong noise. <laughs> He's like, and then everybody on the Academy is like, oh, my God, did you hear that? <laughs> and then you win an Oscar. It's, it's really funny. He goes off on one about the Academy. <laughs> Okay, we'll go, Craig, one of your favourite lines, please. My favourite line is when the police bring themselves their RV and it gets blown up and uh, Theo says, Oh my God, the quarterback is toast. (laughs) (laughs) Gaz? Okay, I'm going to go with uh, McLean saying, I'm going to kill you, cook you, and fucking eat you. It's possibly the most deranged thing a hero in a film has ever said to a bad guy. It's just absolutely unhinged. Yeah. If you're not listening out for it as well, you kind of of don't hear it as well because there's there's music going on punching. And then there's that being said in the background. It's like... It's almost like a parody of what an action movie hero should say is like a pithy one-liner is he off someone (laughs) (laughs) i think that one of that must have been one of the improvised scenes because they must have kept that in and thought it was just nuts wasn't it i suppose Mm. yeah (laughs) lord manley soup hans gruber's having a conversation with holly mclean she calls him uh, a common thief and he says i am an exceptional thief mrs mclean and since i'm moving up to kidnapping you should be more polite yeah that's great (laughs) love it yeah. I love it. Her, rea- her reaction to that is absolutely stunned as well. She goes, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> I think that might be the line that Gary Marn used to do in the quotes game to try and catch me out. So I can remember what it was from. <laughs> Big up, Gary Marn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, mine is just simply, hey, Spreckensy Talk. Yeah. <laughs> I had that one written down as well. <laughs> Gold. Gruber and company pose as terrorists as cover for their dastardly plot to raid the Nakatomi building for the $640 million of untraceable bearer bonds they have in their vault. They quickly take over the building and control almost everything going on inside with brutal efficiency. Lord Manley Supreme, can you tell us what your thoughts are of the plot and the score on your coveted Italica Kotovar themed scoreboard 11 florida broccoli Whoa-ho. oh that's joint second joint second yeah it's not it's not quite up there with Candyman because it wasn't a success but my yeah. god it was diabolical mm. it was incredibly mm. well thought out yeah if it wasn't for that mclean they'd have bloody gotten away with it yeah he's one step ahead of everybody apart from apart from mclean yeah perfect plan really 
I hate you, McLean. <laughs> yeah, it's it's devious, isn't it? Posing as terrorists initially yeah. to throw them off the scent. Yeah, it's good shit. So I haven't seen four or five of the of the Die Hard series, but of the first three, do you think it's the best plan? It's the most diabolical. No, I think three is better. Three, yeah, three. Yeah, three. three I yeah, uh, three is very good as well. Three is actually my favourite of those three. Simon's closer to getting away with it than Hans is. He only gets found out right at the end because he leaves that fucking matchbook from the hotel in it. Apart from that, he would yeah. have got away with yeah. it. Uh, yeah, that yeah, that one is my favourite because I I just I love the interplay. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more hinging on that. There's more variables, and it still works out quite nicely, doesn't it, for him in that? Mm. But but this one is sort of like. Once we're in the building, that's it. It's done. We need to get these things done. And they get it all done. And then, yeah, as we all know, there's the one thing he doesn't factor in is this pesky little uh, NYPD cop at Christmas do. Who doesn't play by the rules. (laughs) Not even his own. (laughs) (laughs) Despite having a slicked, tooled up and well-financed operation... The one variable Gruber doesn't factor into his plot is a smart, pragmatic, and motivated protagonist in the form of John McClane, throwing a spanner in the works wherever he can. Culminating in his express elevator to hell from the side of the building. Delicious. Do we have the chops to alter Gruber's fate? Craig, how are you going to get Gruber on a beach, earning 20%? How... Did this happen? My plan was simple. No, not simple. Efficient. Elegant. What is this cretin blithering about? And now this cowboy has my detonators. We can't afford to leave here with a manhunt on our trail. The FBI must believe we are dead, so blowing the roof is imperative. Did this idiot just call me Bubby? (laughs) I really shouldn't send Carl after this cowboy alone. He's shown himself capable of dealing with us one-on-one. Look at this fucking hipster, with his neat beard and his expensive haircut and his tailored suit. He's even more Eurotrash than I... Oh, wait a second. Mr. Ellis, maybe you are my white knight after all. My apologies for the little joke with the Coca-Cola here. Carl, give dir some man etwas cocaine. Carl stares at me blankly. I roll my (laughs) eyes. Get the man some cocaine. Come on, you're European mercenaries. I know you're carrying. (laughs) If any of you are not, search the desks of these executives and bring back what you find. What follows is like a scene from a Christmas card. A snowdrift of nose candy forms on the desk between us. Mr. Ellis has tried and failed to convince McLean to return the detonators as I knew he would. But no matter. Let him run around up there. He won't dare to come down to the party and start shooting. Now I have a new distraction for the FBI. Mr. Ellis, you seem like a shrewd negotiator. I flatter him once he's hooted enough toot up his hooter to believe he can take on the world. (laughs) I'd like you to negotiate with the FBI on our behalf. Our brothers in arms must be freed, but they must believe you are me. He enthusiastically starts to undress, suggesting we swap clothes to help sell the deceit. (laughs) I politely but emphatically decline, encouraging him to learn a few choice German phrases to shout from the rooftop. Once he is primed and I have privately introduced myself and my demands to the FBI, we play the waiting game. The power is cut on schedule, opening the vault. My men hurriedly collect the bonds and it's time for Ellis to shine. We send him up to the roof with an unloaded gun to meet the hostages. I radio the FBI to inform them I am heading to the roof, as I head instead to the parking garage. I know that McLean will hear the transmission and head to the roof also and I know the FBI will not hesitate to shoot any armed men they see from their gunship. At that distance, Ellis will easily be mistaken for me. In the parking garage, Carl kills a limousine driver who attempts to ram our getaway vehicle. Amidst the chaos, we slip away in the ambulance. By the time they identify the bodies, we will be long gone. Very good. A good impression, too. I like it. That's, yeah. Dankeschön. Yeah, I really, well, personally, I really like I really liked that. I, I like the way you worked Ellison. No one wants your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> the one question I have is, would the phrase hipster have been around at that time? I have my doubts. That does completely ruin my plan, if not, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sorry, Craig. Yeah, that's it. It undermines the foundation because that, that's your building block. <laughs> 
I think Hipster was around then. I'm going to say that it was uh, it was first published in the novel Less Than Zero. I'm googling it right now. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think um, Gruber and Ellis are both probably '80s hipsters potentially, aren't they? With their beards. Oh, okay, 1960s, but it originally was Ooh. a jazz slang term. All right, there you go. Like hepcap. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, and we're as far away from hipsters as we could possibly get. You and I, Lord Manly Supreme. Would you like to uh, tell us your dastardly scheme next? Oh, bloody would. <laughs> And I'd like to preface it by saying I didn't have an idea for the longest time for this. And then I got my fourth Corona shot on Thursday. And in my fevered <laughs> night dreams, it came to me. <laughs> a vision. I can confirm this. He's told me this already. <laughs> Was it like that sequence in Ghostbusters where they released the the thing, the, the, uh, the containment field from the, the storage device and there's like ghosts flying everywhere? Ah! Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say like the scene where the Ray dreams that he's get, being blown by a ghost. <laughs> it was a bit like that. Yeah. It was a bit like it was a bit like all of that. <laughs> First the Craig's bit, and then then the turn of it. <laughs> I woke up and I couldn't sleep. I was up for like three in the morning till about five, tossing and turning, and I tried to stay away from my screen, but I, I jotted down a, f- a few notes. And then I came back to write out, you know, write out in full to develop the idea. And I realized there's quite a lot of holes in it. It wasn't perhaps the best laid plan, but I thought, fuck it. I won't bother uh, going back and uh, changing it. I'm just going to pretty much read it based on the idea I had when I was like 38 degrees. Glowing orbs. Yeah, very much was. Here we go. John McClane needs to be eliminated before I can even think about escaping. So I focus my efforts there first. Carl, my pawn-haired comrade, returns from an encounter with McLean. He is clearly thirsty for revenge. Chuckling at the corpse of the formerly confident Ellis, I devise the perfect plan. I drag Ellis into the main room. Unless you'd like to end up like this walking cliché, I suggest you tell me where his office is. Now. Once inside, a furtive search uncovers around a kilo of coke spread across several bathroom and desk stashes. I call over Carl and another crony. I want you to go to where you last encountered McLean, I say. Follow his tracks. Then, what I want you to do is... (laughs) Carl and his crony return to the scene of the encounter where McLean shredded his feet on the glass. They follow the trail of blood until they come to a bathroom door. They hear McLean having an emotional wobble with some guy named Al, but they do not enter. Instead, they spread the cocaine on the floor, covering the area immediately outside the door. Then they return to me. Upon leaving the toilet, McLean steps in the coke. Vast quantities enter through his open wounds, coursing straight into his bloodstream. (laughs) He is as high as Judy Garland in literal moments. Meanwhile, my men and I have put all of the hostages in an office that can be easily defended. I then get on the radio. McLean, show yourself or I'll kill a hostage for every 10 minutes you keep me waiting. Amped up, but also paranoid at the thought of causing the death of these innocent people, he charges in. My men are waiting and Carl easily picks him off as he runs in guns a-blazing recklessly. Now I turn my attentions to escape. I radio the police and demand 100 Santa suits, pronto. And not any old shit. Santa suits of undeniable quality, complete with sacks. Once they arrive, I force the hostages to put them on. I grab the famous wrapping tape and bind their mouths and their hands behind their backs. Then I strap freshly filled sacks to them. I need a helicopter on the roof, I tell the police. As a show of good faith, I'm sending out some hostages. I send out about 10 through the front doors. I let the police begin to usher them to safety before, boom, the sacks go off. They were filled with C4 all along. Now I've exploded some humans. Ho, ho, ho. I send out another wave of Santas, some with C4, some without. Boom, boom, boom. A third wave, boom. In all the confusion, my cronies load the the loot into the ambulance and we drive out easy peasy. By the time they figure out what went wrong, we'll be sitting on a beach. Earning 20%. Worryingly, 
both plots so far are heavily involving cocaine. Yeah, so when Craig said that, I was like, wow. <laughs> so I'm interested to hear what Gas is going to say. It, it doesn't involve cocaine. <laughs> but at least I can blame mine on a fever. Craig has just went straight to Coketown. <laughs> so I liked the way you were heading there. What I don't really get is why you're sending out hostages carrying sacks of C4 to, uh, dressed as Santa to blow up. When the original plan, once McLean's out of the way, you can carry on with it and just blow up the roof like you were gonna. Nah, I wanted to make it Christmassy. What I thought you were going to say is, you also, as the terrorists, you also disguise yourselves as Santas, and then you all leg it, and then the police are like, oh, there's loads of Santas running out. Are they the terrorists? Are they hostages? We can't shoot. We don't know. And then, you know, by the time they've figured out what to do, all the Santas have, you know, they're, they're getting away. Maybe one or two of the terrorists don't make it out, but most of them do. Yeah. Well, listen, when I was rewriting this after having jotted down some odd notes at like three in the morning, I thought all of this. <laughs> I thought, fuck it, I'm just going for it because it's fucking mad. I don't know where it came from any of it. I, w- I wasn't awake for half of it. And one of the things I thought of the most, and I'm just going to pick up my own plan here, is they followed they followed McLean's blood trail to the toilet door when they just step in and shoot him in the head. <laughs> But I thought, mm. fuck it, I'm, I'm, I'm in too deep now. I'm pouring the coke on the floor and I'm, I'm walking away. Well, he's deadly, isn't he? That's uh, To be honest, it, it, it makes a more entertaining plan that way. I think um, if you just said that, then it would have been like, okay. Yeah. The bigger question about that is, if there is a blood trail for them to follow to that toilet, why don't they do it immediately? Oh, and there is, because you see it. I know that he's a blood trail when he goes into the toilet, but I don't think it goes all the way back to where they last saw him, because if it did, why wouldn't they have just followed it immediately? There was a reason they're called back, aren't they? I think Gruber calls them back. They get the detonators, don't they? They get the detonators. Yeah, that's what they find. They find the bag, don't they? Because he just legs it. And then they go, here's... here's they find the-, the bag that he leaves there. And there's no blood trail there by the bag. So I think he doesn't start bleeding that heavily until he's got a bit further away. No, but they don't try and track him because they take their their pros, aren't they? Yeah, they need to get the job done, don't they, to get the, the, the money and stuff. They need to get the roof going. So they need those detonators. And then once they've got that going, and then he sends Carl out afterwards, doesn't need to go and get him. What I thought happened was he leaves the bag of detonators there and he legs it to the, the exit door that's lit up. And it's on that journey that he first gets the glass in his feet. And he doesn't start bleeding until he's gone through that exit door. I, I feel like they wouldn't have been able to track him from where he was. Otherwise, we'd see that blood trail by the detonators. In the trivia that I was looking at, apparently uh, Bruce Willis had to wear like special things on his bare feet like thick soles so he ran over it. if you if you look closely he was wearing something to protect his feet so he must have been running over the glass in the film for real sort of thing i think that's just a vanity fake story and really his feet are just calloused heavily calloused <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got blooming I mean, hobbit feet isn't he <laughs> oh stove you're in it <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. There was my plan that was the equivalent of a, a coked up story, but just a, a COVID up story. Excellent. Gaz, are you going to sober us up now? Are you going to take us down the uh, rabbit hole even further? Well, you, you tell me once I've finished. It's going to be another crazy one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the safe is open and Hans and the gang are a hair's breadth away from escaping with mucho dinero. There's just one problem, of course, a young Turk named John McLean. He isn't Turkish to the best of my knowledge. It's just an old expression. <laughs> Although the character could be of Turkish origin, the screenplay rather sloppily never makes his country of origin clear. <laughs> Very sloppy. And what is the movie villain's number one way of torturing slash getting rid of a plucky hero? Playing a game with them. Think of the Joker in The Dark Knight as he tries to break Batman's moral compass or Jigsaw's fiendish torture traps in the Saw films. Or even... Simon Gruber's Simon Says Riddles from Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yes, you've worked it out, haven't you? On to whatever floor of Nakatomi Plaza it is that McLean is on, strides a colossus of game playing. You're one step ahead of me, I can tell. The camera pans up, and slowly we see this mythological Adonis is wearing shorts with a print that resembles multicoloured paint splatters on a white canvas. A Jackson Pollock piece almost. Past his taut, sexy waist, we see that his t-shirt is that self-same print. 
a matching top and bottom half outfit that speaks to the man's rapier intelligence. He does not want to waste time using brain power deciding what to wear. It's an all-in-one outfit for him. Upon his godlike face sit a pair of bright red framed glasses, and atop his head sits a baseball cap swung at a jaunty <laughs> oh, angle Jesus Christ. with the same Jackson Pollock style print as his t shirt and shorts. Oh. My God, he's done the triple. He carries in his hand a pink headed mallet. <laughs> <laughs> with a smiley face, <laughs> with a smiley face drawn upon its head. Yes, Tilly Mallet <laughs> is in the house. <laughs> he brings with him one of those German boys, the blonde one. He and McLean sit in chairs opposite one another, with Timmy stood in the middle. <laughs> Welcome to Mallet's Malice. I'm your host, Timmy Mallet. The rules are simple. Mallet's Mallet is a word association game where you mustn't pause, hesitate, or repeat a word, otherwise you might get a bash in the head like this, bunk, or like this, bunk. <laughs> one of the best bruises losers. Look at each other and go, Blair. Look at everyone at home and go, Blair. Everyone look at him and go, Blair. Blair. <laughs> McLean shakes his head, laughs, and intones, whatever you say, pal. Here is your first word to start things off. Car. McLean, drive. German, car. Oh no, I mean, oh, how silly of me. <laughs> Timmy boinks him on the head lightly for his first infraction upon the sacred rules, repetition. Here's your second word, says Timmy. Man. McLean, woman, German, pretty. McLean, horse, German, powerful. McLean, bodybuilder, German, Arnold Schwarzenegger. McLean, red heat, German, Russia. McLean, um, Timmy boinks John on the head. Sorry, no hesitating. Now for your third word, Timmy says. Tragedy. German, comedy. McLean, Bernard Manning. German, racist. McLean, KKK. German, the South. McLean, Colonel Sanders. German, Ronald McDonald. McLean, Pennywise the Dancing Clown. German, Oleg Popoff. McLean is well and truly stumped. <laughs> he looks to his feet for a moment before looking back up to Timmy Mallet and shaking his head to say no. That was his final mistake, for Timmy has swapped his comedy mallet for a sledgehammer and swings it down with all of his might upon McLean's head, exploding it like that bit in Scanners that everybody goes on about. Timmy and the blonde German place their hands upon their hips and laugh. Oh my, how they laugh, for they have defeated New York's finest in a simple word association game and will now escape with the money dead easily. Holy shit. Well, I'd like to say some of your previous plans have been batshit crazy, guys, but that really takes the cake. I, is that the plan that you've been sitting on for weeks that you keep saying, oh, I've got a plan that I'm going to use at some point? I just wait, the time's right. <laughs> Bringing in the mallet. No, this one came to me after several days of frantic searching through my inbox for, for <laughs> ideas. And yeah, inspiration struck me. So I'm going to say through clips of Mallet's mallet to make sure you get the, get the speech right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I did my research. I must say, Gruber's foresight to bring in the mallet is a stroke of genius. Yeah. Yeah. What was he going to do with him if um, it, there wasn't a, a like a John McClane type character in the building? Uh, well, what he's going to do afterwards with uh, the money from the safe is uh, fund a new primetime slot TV show for Timmy Mallet. So he's got <laughs> he's got two uses out of him. He's got a hit TV show and he's got a dead New York cop. Don't want to put words in, in anyone's <laughs> mouth, but I think what Tony was asking is, why was Timmy Mallet at Nakatomi Plaza? Yeah. Yeah, why did... Oh, because what, he's, why did... He, he's getting ready to uh, work on a new TV show. So it was happenstance that, you know, obviously that he managed to find... Well, John McClane was there, then he went, I know the perfect way to neutralise this fucker. Timmy, get your mallet. It's not commonly known, but Timmy Mallet is kind of a, a hard man for hire for criminal gangs if you want <laughs> if you want someone tortured or vaguely destroyed get the mallet in that's what they say uh, send for the mallet there is a bit of a bit of movie trivia to back that up because i know when vinnie jones was searching the role for lockstock he he spent some time with mallet <laughs> indeed <laughs> uh, the one question i have was how did they convince john mclean the new york policeman to participate in a round of mallet's mallet Cars. He he's very amenable, isn't he, with the with the <laughs> computer and with the guy on the aeroplane. You just tell him to do stuff, and he's like, "Whatever you say." <laughs> I don't understand it, but hey, L.A. Do man, you know I'll go along with it. Do you know what you've you've convinced me there? I think I, I agree. <laughs> and, and so, how do they how do they escape as they would have done in the film? Like blow up the rooftop and out in the ambulance. Is that your plan? Yeah, that plus you've got 
Timmy Mallet just wrecking any shit that's in the way with his sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I neglected to mention, but it's also a little known fact that Timmy Mallet has bulletproof skin. So he's just striding out, <laughs> sweating things with his sledgehammer. He got strapped across the front of the ambulance just deflecting bullets. Yeah. Kevlar. Kevlar woven into his DNA. Well, personally, I'm glad to say that I'm glad we got this new formula now because I would hate to pick the winner this week <laughs> from these last three. It's absolutely horrendous so far. But um, I think you can probably safely say none of you are going to vote for this one. Let's try to get us to feel sorry for me, guys. Don't, yeah, don't fall this for is it. The it's sympathy fucking... vote. I'm just going to find some violin music as I read this out now. Okay. Oh, no. It's so bad. Oh, it's so bad. Mm. Oh, no, you won't believe what I've written down here, like. I tell you, you're never going to believe this one. Oh, God, all right, terrible one, this. I've got no votes and I've got no friends. <laughs> Twelve terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McLean, but that's just the way he likes it. Baby... <laughs> Apparently. Well, at least that's according to the poster and the end of the film. <laughs> Anywho, Gruber has everything working in his favour, but one determined cop is his undoing. It's clear to me that each time one or more of his team is sent out to eliminate McLean, they get eliminated themselves, the bloody nitwits, <laughs> drastically reducing <laughs> Gruber's odds of a win. Tut, tut, tut. After they have significantly deterred the police... But losing his own comrades in the process, it's time for a change of tack. Knowing that the building is secure against external threats, it's time to isolate the internal threat of McLean. Calling his remaining chums back to party level, Gruber hatches a plan. He needs to box McLean in if he cannot kill him. Knowing that one of the lifts is now out of action, Gruber also disables the other lift, making McLean's method of travel limited to stairways. Using some small amounts of his C4, Gruber works his way up the building taking out the stairways so John McLean has only one way to go. Up, forcing McLean toward the roof and slowly sending up the hostages in the now re-enabled lift. As the hostages and McLean have nowhere else to go, they head up, sending the rest of the thieves downstairs to start loading the loot and making sure we have a clean escape, taking out a limo driver in the process. The FBI intervene as planned, the roof is blown, the choppers come down, and Gruber and Pals make good their escape. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I know they escaped, but I just don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was making notes, but I couldn't keep up. So right, they disable the lift, and then... And then they take out the stairs. How do they take out the stairs? With small amounts of C4. What, can't he just jump over them? Also... Isn't his preferred method of travel down the building to tie a fire hose around his waist and jump off the roof? That's how he likes to go downstairs. Well, that's only when the, he's going to get he's getting shot at by the FBI and they're going to blow up the roof, isn't it? I don't think you could block off the stairways. I don't, I don't think they got enough C4 to block off the stairways. They, they just destroy the stairs. They just blow the stairs up each way. All the, as, as they're going up, they just go bang, 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 so he can't climb down. All you got to do is just get loads of wet floor signs to block off the stairs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every floor. Yeah. Oh. Sticking in front of every, uh, every level. If you've had Mallet working for you, could have put them out for you. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. My plot's being undone. Yeah. Cheers, Gaz. <laughs> <laughs> it was looking pretty flawless until that came up. <laughs> and wait, the other bit that I struggled with is, did you say that they re-enabled the lift? Yeah, they disable it first, so you know they take out a, take out a thirteen amp fuse out of the uh, plug. Yeah, and then <laughs> later on they put the thirteen amp fuse back in it. <laughs> so why doesn't he just go down the lift then? The terrorist sees it then, and he thinks the lift is already out of action. Okay. Basically, I, I'm not expecting to win this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a reasonable expectation. <laughs> <laughs> Right, a quick summation of uh, the plots. Craig's plot was to basically have Ellis as a negotiator slash Gruber while high on cocaine and obviously peel into his massive, massive ego, which is a wonderful idea. Lord Manly Supreme had a similar substance-based scheme, 
whereas to get McLean unwittingly high on cocaine through his feet and then have the hostages go outside dressed as Father Christmas and uh, randomly explode them, which is, there's a lot in there. There's a lot. In a more sobering and down-to-earth scheme, <laughs> Gaz had uh, late 1980s children's TV star Timmy Mallet joining hands and his team. And Is he dead? No, no, as in the late 80s. Oh, right, late 80s, okay. <laughs> Thanks for spoiling my uh, summary. Craig is going to go into a period of mourning. <laughs> <laughs> just going just gonna to go walk around just as a big pink hammer for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Just sadly saying, Blair, every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) So we would have, yeah, Timmy Mallet joining Hans and the crew and eventually sledgehammering John McClane to death. (laughs) But as we all know, the decision is up to you. No, it's up to us. You didn't so. recap your own plan. Oh, my plan. Yeah, my plan. No point. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. <laughs> my plan was to blow up the stairs to make sure John McLean couldn't come down the building and cause more shite. <laughs> Take a 13 amp fuse out here, put one in back there. You know how it goes. Magic. Had the home advantage this week, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I really did. Really paid off. Really paid off. <laughs> So, panel of peril, would you all like to cast your votes and we shall uh, reveal our winners shortly. Lord Manly Supreme, if you could please reveal your vote. I voted for Gaz's Timmy Mallet Madness. <gasps> Ooh. Craig. I've broken my usual rule of verisimilitude and I've also voted for G-Sizzle. Just for pure invention and the lingering thought of sadly same Blair. <laughs> Gaz, would you like to reveal your vote? Craig, because his plan seemed like it might actually work. Yes, well, it, well, it, it definitely did appeal to the, the sensibilities of a scheme. But yeah, for, for the, in completely the opposite direction, I've gone with Lord Manly Supreme and Craig and both for... It's a landslide. Thank you. Tuppence to you, Gareth. Tuppence. (laughs) God almighty. What does that do to the scoreboard, Gaz? Oh, my word. I was in joint last place with Adam on a point apiece, and now it's joint first place with Craig, three points apiece. Second place... With two points is Lord Manly Supreme. And in last place with a single point is Adam. All to play for, Adam. We're only three episodes in to season two. Everything to play for. No, this is episode five, isn't it? Oh, shit. Sorry. I don't think you can catch up. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, keep turning up. We'll give you a shiny badge at the end of it. So congratulations, Gaz. However, Lord Manly Supreme, can you please reveal which film we will be watching next week? I'm going to keep the festive train rolling. We're going to be watching Home Alone, baby. A whopper. Whopper pick. (laughs) Exactly. Excellent. Did you think I wasn't going to pick Home Alone, you know, for a Christmas episode? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to an end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as we have. If you have, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow us across social media on at DiabolicalPod. Most importantly, if you know someone who might like the pod, please share it with them. As we all know, the gift of giving leads to enlightenment. So until next time, dear listener, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker!
weather outside is shocking, and they brought some corn for popping. So you better pull your pants down, start fucking. It's Christmas, it's Christmas again. <laughs> Please leave us a five-star review on Apple iPods. <laughs> on Apple iPods. <laughs> uh, I, I've I've written for some uh, for some reason I've I've written iTunes and and said Apple iPods, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, dude. Apple Podcasts. Let me just retype that. I've just I've, I've done a Ron Burgundy, haven't I? <laughs> Ron Burgundy. <laughs> go go fuck, fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> 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 I think that went very well. <laughs>